Good to be here together with you today. And for those who are online this morning, uh, wonderful. I'm glad you're joining us as well too. You know, one of the many privileges that I get in my role uh, as one of the pastors here is I get to hear story, stories after story of, of people who are taking a hold of the mission of God and, and living out what it looks like to meet people where they are. You know, whether it's the, the young mum who was connecting with a neighbour down the road who uh, is struggling around the issues of infertility and just kind of connects and relates and, and is ministering into that context, families that may not necessarily be following God or people of faith, but uh, just people in need, or towards the parent that is standing at the, the, the gate of uh, the school gate and connecting with other parents and, and sharing the hope that they've got in Christ in those spaces as they build conversations, or to the older people as they uh, are in their retirement villages or in different spaces, people demonstrating God's love and care in very practical and tangible ways wherever God takes them. You know, the reality is that they are stories that are being replicated uh, in and through the life of Bendigo Baptist Church, whether it's here at our Junin campus, our Eagle Hawk campus, or in town as well. It's a story after story of how God is using people as they cross the street in Jesus' name to, just to minister and to care for other people. You know, uh, we, we, I hear about these stories regularly, and you, you'll know about some of those stories as well too, uh, being happening in and through the life of this church, but also in the lives of our intercultural partners, the people that we support that are kind of going cross, that they are cross-culture, they are, they've gone out from Bendigo. Maybe it's around our nation there in other parts of the globe and they are learning and they are doing their crossing streets, they're meeting people where they are, contextualizing the gospel in Jesus' name. You know, story after story of what happens here and in through the life of our church, but what does it look like in reality? You might be here, you might be watching, thinking, well, What's that look like for us to cross a street in Jesus' name? Well, the Gospels are full of different stories of what that might look like as Jesus, God in flesh, turned up and began to meet people where they are. You know, one, of the, one of the great stories is found in the Gospel of John, John chapter 4. And if you've got a device, I, I want to encourage you to kind of open to that story. We're going to chase some of that for just a bit today. We don't have time to, to read the whole story, to engage in all elements of the story, but you know, as we look at this story, it helps us to understand a little bit as to what it looks like to cross the streets. You know, uh, we know what it's like to live in streets, don't we? Uh, our homes, we will all have, we, most of us are going to be living in homes that have a street to them. And so when we talk about crossing the street, it might mean crossing that street, but it might be much broader than that. It might mean crossing our neighborhood, crossing our town, crossing our community. Uh, what's that look like for us to cross a street in Jesus' name? Well, one of the things I love about the Gospels is that Jesus made it really, you know, as he discipled those 12 men that he had around them, he kind of went on a journey with them for a good 18 months, two years, and he helped them to understand what it looked like to cross the streets. Not just cross streets where they felt comfortable, but to cross streets where they were stepping out of their comfort zone, stepping into areas that were not familiar for them and teaching them what it looked like to, to minister in that space. And the story that we follow today, maybe it's a story that you've heard before, you've read before, or maybe it's even a story that you're getting for the very first time, but it's a story that involves a woman. 
Uh, it happens at a well uh, in the middle of this place called Samaria. For us, it doesn't kind of ring any bells for us. We don't travel through Samaria. We don't stop for a drink of water at a well. And quite often we may not be engaging in a conversation like that. But Jesus models to us in this story what it looks like to cross streets and to meet people uh, where they are in Jesus' name. So if you've got your Bible, your device, uh, we pick up the story in around about the fifth verse into this chapter, uh, where we're being told that Jesus, who was in the region of Judea, suddenly decides he's going to go up to Galilee, which is the northern part of Israel. So he's traveling from the south to the north. It would have been a journey of a number of days. Uh, and he's traveling up there, and he decides to go through this region called Samaria. And this is how the story unfolds beginning in verse 5. It says that Jesus came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at that time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. We'll just pause there for a moment. Have you ever had those moments when you've been outside working and you are weary uh, and you are tired, it's been hot and you're feeling somewhat exhausted, but what you're really longing for is a drink of water? You know, that moment when you kind of take the top off the water bottle or you wander back inside the house and you go to the tap and you turn the tap on and water just flows, or you go to the, to the refrigerator and you push your cup in there and you get cold, filtered water. It is, it is refreshing, isn't it, that when you drink that water in, there's nothing quite like it that quenches your thirst. Well, this is where Jesus is at. He's kind of been making this trip, and we're told that they get to this village called Sychar, or to this well that's just outside the village, and Jesus sits down. He is weary from the trip. He's tired. And all he wants is a drink of water. The disciples have gone. They've gone into the village to buy some food. And he just wants a drink of water. And out comes this woman. And Jesus asks her for a drink. Now, is there anything wrong with this picture? You know, if you've never read this before, or you've only gotten this far, or you're reading again for the first time, you might think, well, it doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with this. Have you ever um, come across, uh, maybe it's a, it's a picture in a newspaper or it's something on social media and it's got this caption, what's wrong with this picture? Now, they're not implying that it's a bad picture, you know, the pixels weren't good. and you know, they, they, That's not the obvious question. The question kind of really underlies all of that and they're saying there is a picture right here and there is something uh, that... Uh, is not quite appropriate or it kind of stands out a little bit in this picture. What's wrong with this picture? And usually what they're implying is that there is something inappropriate or somebody's doing something wrong or in the culture of our day, you, can, you know, there's something wrong about this picture. Well, this is a case in point. A picture is being painted for us in the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, of Jesus heading through Samaria to Galilee. And the picture is, is there something wrong? Well, yes, in the culture of that day, there were a number of things that were glaringly wrong with this picture. You see, the first one is the fact that Jesus had decided to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. 
If you understand your topography of Israel, and it's all back to front for me in terms of how I'm going to picture this, but just imagine southern Judah, uh, sorry, southern Israel, northern Israel, and Jesus is going from Judea up through Samaria to the region of Galilee, northern, northern uh, Israel. Now, what would happen in that day is that a good Jew, a devout Jew, would never travel through Samaria. There's a reason for that. But what they would do is that they would actually leave Judea, they would cross the Jordan River, they would go up north, and then they would cross back in on the other side of Samaria into Galilee. Now, you might be thinking, well, why would a good, devout Jew do that? Well, they wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. In the, in, in the eyes of a Jewish people of that day, Samaritans were like second-class citizens. You know, it would be a little bit like today, us deciding to go out to Eagle Hawk, and we didn't want to go through the centre of Bendigo. And so what would we do? We would kind of get to Juniton, and we'd kind of take a detour right out around the side through Jackass Flat, and then back into Eagle Hawk, because we avoided the city at all costs. Well, that's exactly what the Jews of that day would do. Whether they were coming from the north or the south, they avoided Samaria. Now, there's a back-end story to all of that that really is the fact that Samaritans uh, were considered to be a group of people that had interbred. They, they were Jewish people, but years prior to that, when they'd been carried off into Assyrian captivity and they'd come back, they had married people from other cultures, and so those from the south didn't believe them to be uh, pure Jewish people. So they, re- they just had disdain for them. But what does Jesus do? He sets aside all of these kind of cultural things and he goes right up through the heart of Samaria and he stops at a well. And if that was not enough, he even then makes a decision to eat and drink uh, out of the utensils of this woman who had come to a well. No good, upright, standing Jewish person would ever do something like that. But Jesus just kind of breaks all of that. And then there's the second thing that's wrong with this picture. It's the fact that Jesus would then begin to interact and to engage with this woman who had come out to the well. I mean, Jesus being a devout man, being held up as a rabbi, we know him as a holy man who was helping to lead Israel back to God. Any devout rabbi from that day... Uh, would certainly not be caught in Samaria, but they would not be caught interacting and engaging with a woman. It was just inappropriate on all kinds of levels. We don't understand that because we don't think twice about stopping to have a conversation with uh, a member of the opposite sex. You know, we understand the social cues and the boundaries of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, but we would just engage in a conversation. I would engage with a conversation with another woman. But a rabbi from that day would not engage with a woman and even if it was his own wife he would not be caught speaking to his own wife that was appropriate uh, etiquette of that day and and even if they found themselves in this situation where they were alone with this woman uh, they they wouldn't want to start a conversation the fear of gossip getting out or them finding them being placed in in a in a compromising situation and yet here is jesus seems quite unperturbed about all of this, heading through Samaria, stopping at a well. This woman comes out and he asks her for a drink of water. But there's a third thing. It's the fact that, he's been, that he starts a conversation with this woman who obviously was coming from somewhat of a questionable background. Uh, we, we glean some of that from the text as the text goes on, but we can deduct from this part of the story that she's right there during the middle of the day. 
Why would a woman, uh, women did not come out during the middle of a hot day in, in that culture? In fact, they came out at either dawn or dusk with all the other women to collect water. But here is this woman on her own coming out from the village to draw water. And that, this tells us that this woman from the very beginning was someone who felt like she was an outsider. She was living in that community, but as an outsider in her own community. And, and she did not feel comfortable coming out with other women who uh, obviously knew who she was, knew her past, knew the lifestyle that she had, and she wanted to engage with none of that. And yet here she comes, she turns up at the well to draw water, and Jesus begins to engage her in a conversation. He's thirsty. And he says to her, would you give me a drink? Such a simple question. Now this woman, we know that she was profoundly taken aback by all of this. And this is how the story continues to keep unfolding. If you've got it with me in verse 9, uh, she said, let me just get there. She said, she said to, uh, to Jesus, verse 9, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? You can see she knows there's something wrong with this picture. To which Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. She responds, But sir, you don't even have a rope or a bucket and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How could you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus continues on and he says, Anyone who drinks this water, the water from this well, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. To which this woman then said, Please, sir, would you give me that water? Would you give me some of that water? You know, Jesus was obviously thirsty. But as the story unfolds, what really is happening here, he is being driven and motivated by love. I want to engage in a conversation with a woman who desperately needed to be treated with grace and compassion, who needed a picture of, of God's you know, unconditional love just pushed over her life and and so as they began to engage in this conversation this woman obviously was able to hold her own because they, they cover the gamut you know they, they they talk about location they talk about gender they talk about worship and they talk about liturgy I mean can you imagine going and having a cup of coffee with somebody and covering the gamut of that in the space of uh, 10 or 15 minutes she's a capable competent confident woman a woman in that sense and so they continue this dialogue and as they talk together, this is what begins to unfold. See, this woman who realizes enough, I mean, she has a Jewish background, that she's got Jewish roots, she knows that there is this promised Messiah that is coming. And so she says to Jesus these words in verse 25, she says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one that is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And with the door flung wide open, Jesus says to this woman, I am the Messiah. I am the one that you've been looking for. I am the one that you have been waiting for. I am the one that can meet all of your deepest needs. And I am the one who can give you this living water. 
how this woman would respond at this point? Well, she's so impressed by the love of Christ, even despite the fact that he had confronted and challenged her about her sin, about her immoral lifestyle, the fact that the person that she was living with now wasn't just her fourth husband, it was her fifth person that she is with. I mean, Jesus has called her out on this. But she's so impacted by his loving response we're told that she dropped her water pot or she left her water pot at the well and she went back. She ran back to the village telling everyone, this is verse 28 and 29, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? This woman who was the outsider. This is God's grace all over this story. The woman who was the outsider, the one who... uh, was living with shame and regret, the one whose life was full of guilt, the one who felt like she had no place in her community, that very one, the one who was the outsider now is suddenly the insider and she runs back into the village. And she says, come and meet a man. Verse 30, who told me everything that I have done. There's something winsome about that. She's saying, this could be the Messiah. Come and meet a man who's told me everything. This is the Messiah. And as the story just continues to unfold, the village go out to meet Jesus. And then in verse 39, this is what we're told happens. It says that many Samaritans from that village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything that I did. Wow. Who would have expected that a woman, the outsider, would become the insider? And as part of her story, all she's done is she's just run back into the village and she's told them about this person called Jesus. She did her part. You see, uh, it reminds me that constantly God is at work all around us all the time. That's the reality. We drive here this morning and we stop somewhere in a cafe or a store to get something, God's at work in that place. We wander into uh, our office this week, whether it's at school or uh, it's in our work environment, wherever it might be, God's already at work in that place. It's not like God's not there. Jesus turned up at a well. You know, how often do we turn up in places and we just don't even think twice about it? But as Jesus turned up at that well and all he did was ask for a drink of water, God was already at work. That woman had come out from her village. This woman who was suffering all kinds of shame and guilt, uh, the outsider, God was at work in her life. And so as we think about this story and uh, what it might teach us about crossing the street, you know, what does it say to us? What do we take out of that for ourselves? Because undoubtedly Jesus was using this situation to teach his own disciples. Can you imagine them walking back out to the well and suddenly finding Jesus engaging in a conversation with this woman and obviously a woman of bad character? Uh, their jaws would have just dropped. They would have known what is exactly wrong with this picture. But you see, Jesus in this moment was helping them to understand what it looks like to cross the streets. And the principles are transferable. I want to give you three things today as I think about this story uh, and apply it to my own lives. Uh, you know, what, what's that mean? Well, first and foremost, it teaches us that meeting people where they are When we do that, it models the incarnation. What do I mean by that? Well, think about this. In Jesus, see, Jesus was God with skin on. 
God in the flesh. In Jesus, God broke into human history when he crossed the cosmos and he came and dwelt and lived among us. God with skin on. That was the incarnation. And when Jesus, modeled, when Jesus moved about meeting people where they were, the woman at the well, the woman who had been bleeding for years and she reached out and touched the hem of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Uh, as Jesus ministered to Zacchaeus, the tax collector, I mean, the stories just go on and on throughout the Gospels. As Jesus met with people, uh, as he met people where they were, he was giving us an example of what it looks like to model the incarnation. When we meet people where they are today, we are following in Jesus' footsteps, we are modeling the incarnation. So I ask the question what is your streets? You know, what street do you need to cross that's going to model the incarnation? See, when we step out of our comfort zone, when we cross streets, when we step into places where people are, when we go to them because they're not coming to us, what we are doing is that we are modeling, we are meeting people where they are and we are modeling the incarnation. So what street is it that maybe you need to cross today or this week or you know what does that look like what's it look like for you to meet people where they are and I, let me give you some examples i mean the examples these are just some examples but the examples are numerous you know for the young adult that sits here in this room today uh, it's as you go to school or university and, and as you engage and you build relationships with people that sit in that context you are meeting people where you are as you turn up in the office tomorrow now, if you're in a Christian work environment, probably most people in that environment are going to be Christians, but if you are you know, talking about you are gathering with people that aren't people of faith and you're kind of in the office, it's somebody that maybe you've seen there over months, years, people, individuals that you have cups of coffee with, the Spirit of God is already at work in their lives. You just need to meet with people. You're meeting with people. You're building relationships. You know, uh, maybe for some of you, it's, it's one or two mates you've got as you play sports. It's relationships that you have got there. Or it could be as simple as you coming across people that God brings into your world that it's obvious that they've got needs and God's put you right there and said, you want to join with me in what I'm already doing by addressing some of their needs in practical and tangible ways. See, it's happening all around us all of the time. You know, what's my streets? All kinds of streets for me, but one of the obvious ones for me is the fact that I'm a chaplain of the South Benigo Football Netball Club. Several years ago, I made the decision to step into their world. I stepped out of everything that I knew to be comfortable. Very easy for me to stay in my own little bubble here. I stepped out of my own comfort zone and I went to where they were to serve as a chaplain. Uh, they weren't coming to me, so I went to where they were and that's what it looks like for me to cross my streets. In those moments when I'm standing there and I'm feeling awkward in that environment and, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily that well-known in that community, I just got to keep reminding myself, do you know what, this is what it looks like to model the incarnation. To meet with people where they are in Jesus' name. But what else does this story teach us? It reminds us that meeting people where they are is always motivated by love. It's motivated and driven by love. Was Jesus thirsty? Absolutely. But ultimately, as this story unwinds, it's not so much his thirst. What was driving him is that he was motivated by love for this particular person. Jesus knew that this woman needed to experience grace and forgiveness. 
She needed to uh, uh, come to understand the, the wholeness of life that could be offered to her in Jesus' name, of what could be given to her because of living water, so to speak. And so all Jesus wanted to drink, ultimately, he was being driven and motivated by love. And so we ask ourselves the questions. Why is a ministry campus right here? Why would we invest all kinds of money in ministry programs and endeavors in this city when we have a watching community that says, you know what? I'm a little sus on all their activities. In fact, you know what? I don't like the church. You know, why do we continue to keep doing that? We do it because of Jesus' love. You know, why is it that uh, we would think about ministry to the homeless and the marginalized and the vulnerable? Why do we do it? We do it because of Jesus' love. And why would we plant a church? Why would we think about doing even more things and planting a church, a congregation right there in the heart of the city? We, we, we feel compelled to do it because of the love of Jesus. We're told in the Scriptures very simple. Now, if there was no other scripture, we're told that for God so loved the world that he gave. It's the biggest, the most beautiful example of love. God was motivated and driven by love. Jesus was motivated and driven by love. And, and so should we as well too. We're driven by love. That's the third thing. As I think about this story, it reminds us that uh, meeting people where they are opens gospel doors. That's what it does. When we take that walk, when we cross the street, when we build relationships, when we're prepared to listen to other people's stories and not judge them for their beliefs, when we find ourselves in that space, and you know, for many of you, this is kind of what you've experienced as well too, is that the doors begin to open. God gives you opportunities in that space to share the hope that you have as a follower of Jesus Christ. And it happens naturally. See, that's happened for me as well too. You know, over the last 18 months as I've continued to kind of engage in my role as a chaplain of the South Bendigo Footy Club, there's a whole back-end story to this, but uh, I discovered that uh, one of the key committee members of uh, that footy club had been given a terminal or they'd given some very terrible health news. And I'd heard about it through somebody else uh, who I was doing a wedding for connected to the club. And I called up uh, this person. I said, may I hear that we should be having a coffee together? I kind of stepped out. I crossed the streets. To which he said, you know what? Yeah, we do need to do that. And over the next 18 months, some of the most profound conversations began to happen simply because of that. Nothing special in me. I didn't do anything special. Just started a conversation very first time we met, I was a little bit taken aback by uh, uh, the start of the conversation when uh, this person said, now Dave, I'm, I'm expecting and hoping that you're going to take my funeral. And I said, hey, um, I feel very honoured that you would actually ask me to do that. I said, but I think there's some, there's some much more important conversations we need to have long before we ever get to that space. And so we continued to keep meeting, kept having cups of coffee. My shout one week, his shout a couple of weeks later. And I just listened to his story. And he continued to keep telling me his story. I just engaged and pushed around in that story. And on one occasion, I said, mate, you are doing an amazing job at endeavoring to finish this life well. I said, have you ever thought about, and I took a big breath, have you ever thought about actually what lies beyond the grave for you? 
And immediately he came back to me and says, you know what, it's funny you say that. But I've been thinking about those exact same questions. Can you imagine in that moment if I had not chosen to cross the street, so to speak, and to even raise that question? And over the coming weeks and months, uh, I started, we started having conversations about matters of faith, God, the church. He was somebody who was not going to step into this place. But then I started sending him YouTube clips, uh, what I say, uh, alpha clips from YouTube uh, that was around questions such as, who is Jesus? And why did he die? And how can I have faith? We had some profound conversations. A gentleman died back in February, and I was really quite sad about all of that. Just a few weeks ago, his son turned up in this place because he's asking questions. You see, when we cross the street, when we meet with people where they are, it opens gospel doors. So what do we take out of all of that? What's that mean for us today? Let me leave you just with a couple of applications. See, the reality is that there could be someone sitting here in this room right now, or maybe you're even watching online. And this is the very first time or you're hearing about the love of God expressed through his own son, Jesus Christ, for your life, and you've never started, you you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're young here in this room. You're a young adult you're, or uh, you're an older person and you, you, you're being drawn here. Someone's invited you along and you've never made this decision to, to, to embrace Jesus Christ for your own life. You know, who is Jesus? And, and why did he die? And how can, I have, how can I have faith in Jesus? These are questions that maybe you're beginning to explore as well too. You see, as you think about this story, the woman at the well, her life was broken. She was the outsider. She had no hope in life and her life consisted of getting out to a well when everybody else was gone just so she could get some water to survive. And maybe that's how you feel today. Just kind of pushed to the margins, stuff kind of going on in your life and you're not quite sure what to do with it and Jesus turns up into this moment in your life and says, I can give you water where you will never thirst again. I can give you living water. I can give you eternal life. I can help you to have this full and abundant life. And if you've never embraced Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior, then I am urging you to grab a hold of that for your life today. That's the decision. That's the response that you're being called to make. The Spirit of God is at work in your life and He's drawn you here. He's drawn you online and He is speaking to you. And for you, that's the decision. See, the gospel... The good news of Jesus Christ is seen in this story, but it's also captured for us in this way. I was thinking about this yesterday. With the passing, if you might know this individual, with the passing of one of our great theologians, Timothy Keller. This quote kind of popped up in my social feed that I've seen before, but in that sense it kind of captures, it encapsulates the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And Keller said this, As he talked about the gospel, he says, the gospel says, you know, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we've ever dared to believe. Yet at the same time, at that very same time, uh, 
We are more loved and we are accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. That's the story of the woman at the well. In that moment, as she gathered there and met Jesus at that well, she couldn't have been any more broken, any more sinful than at that point. But in Jesus, she discovered that she couldn't be any more loved and accepted in Jesus' name than she dared to hope. And maybe, just maybe for some of us, today, you want to experience everything that that woman at the well experienced in Jesus' name. You can. But I'll give you an opportunity, a moment to respond. But here's the second application, and I finish with this. See, is there somebody in your world, as you sit here today, and it'll, it'll immediately come to mind. Is there a street that you need to cross to meet somebody that you know in Jesus' name? It might be your actual streets. It might be your neighbourhoods. Your street might be your office. It might be your university setting. It might be in the sporting ground. It might be at the hospital. The streets are all over the place. You see, if you're here today and you already call yourself a Christ follower, here's what I want you to think about. If you are already a Christ follower, then the reality is that at some point in time, somebody else took that walk, they crossed the street in Jesus' name. You know, whether it was your parent, whether it was a friend, whether it was a spouse, the reality is that somebody took that walk, they crossed the streets, and they shared the hope of Jesus with you and I. And today, our lives are completely different. Yeah, that's what happened 2,000 years ago with this woman. And as the disciples came back, they began to realize what was going on. And we know that when Jesus ascended, Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 8, persecution breaks out. And what happens to the church? They are dispersed. And as they are scattered, they, they, they went off sharing the good news about Jesus with this phrase. In the NIV, it says, wherever they went. They went out sharing the good news of Jesus. You see, if we're here today watching online right now and we call ourselves a Christ follower, then I want you just to think, sit with the reality that somebody has already crossed the street for you. And so what can you do for that person? What's God calling you to do today? It's as simple as just uh, crossing streets, making relational connections, modeling the incarnation by love and just waiting for God to open gospel doors. If I can do it, all of us can do it. You know what? As I finish, you know, I want us to imagine for just a moment that if somebody's forever, that the redirecting of somebody's forever, if you think about their lives, if it was as simple as us as crossing streets, just to simply meet with people where they are, can you imagine the impact that we could have? What's your streets? Or what's the person that right now you can visualize in your own mind? Would you cross the street? I want to ask us just to bow our heads right now as we're kind of thinking about that, as our team kind of comes back. But as you are thinking about that right now, I want to put the challenge out there for us. We're just kind of, we're thinking about it. But with our heads bowed, who is that person that's coming to mind right now that maybe you're thinking about? It could be a family member. 
But maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a work colleague. Maybe it's someone you play sport with. Maybe it's the next door neighbour that's a bit grumpy at you. I don't know who it is for you. But can you picture somebody in your mind? Here's what I want you to do. I want you today to raise your hands because that's your way of acknowledging. Yeah, I've got somebody, Dave. So I want to give you a chance right now. Yeah, I'm seeing hands going up. People there, streets to cross, people's lives, meeting people where they are. Thank you. Can you imagine the difference? The forever difference that you and I might have the privilege of being a part of. We may never even know the result of this. But as we choose to cross the street in Jesus' name and to meet people where they are, we play our parts. Now, we don't change people's lives. That's the Spirit of God that does that work. God's inviting us today. He's inviting those that uh, sit here in this room and those that are watching online right now to say, you know what, yeah, I'm a part of this. I'm going to be a part of crossing streets right here in Bendigo. I'm going to be a part of crossing streets around this state and this nation. I'm going to be a part of even crossing streets in other countries because that's where I'm watching from today. I'm going to do it in Jesus' name and I'm going to meet people where they are. And I'm going to be a part of forever changing lives. You know, as I finish and as I pray, maybe you're here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus. Can I let you know that it's as simple as acknowledging that Jesus Christ, it's a simple prayer from just a heart that says, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I want to thank you for coming, crossing the cosmos, crossing the streets, and coming and living and dwelling amongst us so that we might be put right with God. Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? And would you make my heart your home today? In Jesus' name. That's a prayer that you're praying today. then here's your response. I'm going to ask you that as our service finishes today, that you find me and you say, you know what, Dave, I prayed that prayer. Or if you're online right now and you've prayed that prayer, that you would send us an email. Email me. Connect at bendigobaptist.org.au. Let me know. We want to set you up. We want to support you. We want to help you to walk your journey as a disciple and a follower of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story. Such a a wonderful, practical story of what it looks like for people still today to cross the street. Father, we thank you that you were willing to do that for us and you expressed that in the incarnation with your son Jesus. We thank you for the way in which he modeled that to us. And Lord, I pray that God, for each person that's here, for every individual that is watching, 
But God, you would inspire us afresh to step out of these doors and to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to keep meeting people where they are. Father, your word says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Father, here in this room, people watching right now, we are the laborers. And so, Father, would you inspire us, give us courage, give us tenacity, give us passion to, to, to leave with a sense of, well, I've got a part to play in all of this. God, help us to do whatever it takes to cross streets in Jesus' name. Amen.